The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. So I've had a lot of Disney on the minds the past couple months. Um, at, at the beginning of May, uh, Lauren and I, we surprised the kids with, with a trip. They'd never been. Lauren had never been. It had been 25 years since I had gone as a kid. Uh, but those of you who have planned a vacation to the, the happiest place on earth, know that it has gotten incredibly complicated and can bring about an array of anxieties. You know, you're going to spend objectively an irresponsible amount of money. Um, maybe like us, you're driving a thousand miles to get there and you are, are you know, submitting yourself to uh, any number of variables. You're at the mercy of variables beyond your control and weather and crowds and lines and what have we gotten ourselves into? Uh, so I'm incredibly grateful and, and perhaps more than a bit relieved to report that, that it really couldn't have been a more perfect time. We had an absolute blast. Uh, and, and even beyond the rides, even beyond the rides and, and all the brilliant details in each setting, what, what really stood out for me were the people, the, the, the cast members, they call them, who cultivate an atmosphere of, of unmatched hospitality. And they, they do so with sincerity and warmth and playfulness. You know, we, we turned a corner into what we initially thought was an empty alleyway in Star Wars land, only to be just like taken by surprise and interrogated by a pair of stormtroopers. It was awesome. <laughs> I got to hug Chewbacca, y'all. It is every bit as satisfying as you might imagine. I hope you get to hug Chewbacca at some point in time in your life. Uh, Mara got to meet every one of the, the princesses and, and it, they really are like a cartoon come to life. And it's stunning, truly stunning, to witness the care and attentiveness that they bring to every interaction with every young starstruck guest. There was one notable exception. I won't name names. Let's just say she's a terrific swimmer and has a movie out right now and did not very much seem to want to be a part of our world on that day. It's an off day. It's an off day. We all have off days. Even half fish, we're only human. But point being, point being, before I get sidetracked, uh, the experience delivers what it advertises. Magic, right? But it's more than the, the simple suspension of disbelief or getting what you paid for. It's the collective embrace of an enchanted reality. It, it becomes magical to the degree that ordinary people choose to see and to live into, to participate in the magic. So last week, Erica reminded us of the story of, of Pentecost, the, the descent of the Holy Spirit comes a rushing wind, the collective empowering of all those gathered to, to radiate the living and enduring presence of Jesus, declaring that signs and wonders would be revealed in and through this chosen people scattered and sent to, to any number of diverse communities. Acts 2 is just that. It's, it's a collective embrace of a new and enchanted reality. And it's a reality that now ushers us into a, a really beautiful but somewhat misunderstood segment of our shared calendar, the Christian calendar. We call it ordinary time, following Pentecost all the way to the beginning of, of Advent. And I love the way our friend A.J. Sherrill explains it this way, that as reflective of God's movement, he says that, that Advent, the beginning of our Christian year, through Christmas, through Epiphany, is Emmanuel, God with us. And then Lent, through Easter, is God's self-given, 
for us. Pentecost is God indwelling within human hosts, God in us. In ordinary time, he proposes, represents God through us. The magic revealed within the faithfulness of the everyday stuff. But ordinary does not mean unremarkable. Ordinary does not mean mundane. It comes from the root ordinal. It's a cadence of keeping track, of counting. Like Sean taught us from Psalm 90 two weeks ago. Teach us to count our days that we might gain a wise heart. So in recent weeks, if you've been around, you you know that we had been in a series on remembering and reconsidering these these rhythmic practices, the liturgies in which we regularly engage together as a church and and how they reflect aspects of the the kind of community we profess to embody. And, And so this is a bit of an addendum to that conversation. Liturgy is, is, is one of those very churchy words you hear, right? But it, it means quite simply the work of the people, the particular and ordinary things that we as followers of Jesus do. And, and not for the sake of a, a, a recognizable order on a Sunday morning or on a Saturday evening in the near future. I know many are excited about the return of a Saturday evening service at the end of the summer. But th- these are things that we rehearse when we gather together so that they would reverberate, that they would, in a sense, enchant the ways that we exist every other hour of the week as we disperse to wherever and with whomever God has placed us. So we worship because we long to be a people whose hearts are oriented in joyful exaltation of God. We pass a basket not to keep the lights of the church on, though there is that, but as Chris reminds us, it's because we want to be a people who are shaped by open-handed gratitude and generosity for the, for the sake of the kingdom. We enter into a time of shared teaching this time because we long to be a people who are refined by God's word and the collective endowment of the Holy Spirit. We share in, in confession that we would be a people shaped by grace and mercy. We enter into this the Eucharist time and share the communion table because we are made to be a people of the table, a table that represents Christ's sacrifice on our behalf and and a sacrifice that we seek to embody with the fullness of our ordinary lives. And then there's this peculiar thing that we do at the end of each and every service. And there are those among you, this is no judgment, I'm just stating a fact, that often may not take part in our closing element of our shared time. You know, you you get your bread and your wine, you got places to be, I get it. If you have your bag with you at communion, it's a dead giveaway. But if you stick around, you'll share in in what we call a benediction, literally a word of blessing, speaking goodwill, benediction, good speaking, that we would depart reminded of our identity as beloved and and reminded of our shared purpose. We're reminded in, in benediction that we are a beloved people whom God gathers, that then become a chosen people whom God sends. So immediately after the resurrection, the Marys, the three Marys, the the, the first preachers of the resurrection, Mary the mother of God, Mary Magdalene, Mary of Clopas, they encounter an angelic messenger outside the tomb, and then Jesus himself, who directs the women to call the disciples to meet him in Galilee. And in the conclusion of Matthew's gospel, our newly risen Savior offers to us what, what we might call a definitive benediction prior to his ascension, a text that we've come to know as the Great Commission, 
We're told in Matthew 28 that now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but they doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember that I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, these are the same disciples who ran and hid behind locked doors immediately following Jesus' arrest, whose faith had repeatedly wavered. In Peter's case, famously had outright denied him. Even now, we see that they're unsure. They, they doubt what is plainly in front of them because it defies all earthly logic. And yet still, with, with all of the authority of the cosmos, Jesus extends this commission, this sending command, not to a, an inner circle of scholars or the religious elite and the rich and the powerful and the influential, instead to a pretty ordinary group, failure-prone, semi-obedience, consistently missing the point of his teachings and the inexplicable miracles that they saw repeatedly performed. Why? Because even in their stumbling, even in their faltering comprehension, they remained devoted. They kept showing up, willing and wanting to learn. They have what most of us have, what several times in Matthew's gospel we hear described as little faith in referencing the lilies of the field in the Sermon on the Mount, the calming of the storm, walking on water. Each time Jesus offers the same echoed refrain, you of little faith, often adding, I'm right here with you. What do you possibly have to be afraid of? In this encounter, it demonstrates that faith and doubt are not, not contradictory. In fact, in, in many ways, they share an intrinsic link. Throughout all of Scripture, the calling and the sending are so often given to the, to the reluctant, to the doubting but willing, and so rarely to the certain, to the self-assured. To move forward through doubt requires faith trusting that God unseen knows the way ahead. So when I first arrived at Ecclesia, this is all the way back in 2007 with Lauren, we were dating at the time, and I was only just beginning to emerge from a long time that I had been woefully adrift for a significant season. I didn't much like or even recognize the person that I saw in the mirror. And so a vocation in the church, let alone teaching or leading, that was the furthest thing from my mind. As far as I was concerned, I was disqualified. You know, that's for the, the, the holy folks up there on stage, the one that, that have their lives together, and that sure as heck ain't me. Spoiler alert, they didn't either. Most of us still don't. <laughs> on the best of days, we get it like half right, right? Yeah. Uh, but there was one Sunday that came along, and, and I saw a, an announcement slide uh, before the service started, and, and it caught my attention. Uh, and it said, we need benediction writers. And it had a picture of Spock from Star Trek doing the, the hand thing. <laughs> Live long and prosper, which I now know is itself a benediction. Live long and prosper. 
sending and blessing, contact Paul Randall. I'm so glad I contacted Paul Randall. I'd always fancied myself a, a decent writer, not a great poet by any means, but I love trying. And, and maybe this is, is something I can do, a toe in the water, some small way to participate at a safe distance, mind you. Little did I know that that tiny, reluctant yes would become the entry point, the, the timid first step into a, an ongoing journey that I never could have imagined or manifested on my own. You of little faith. Benediction reminds the community of their identity as beloved and their purpose as co-heirs along with the entire body of Christ of this great commission. And it's on my mind a great deal of late because it's benediction that truly began my active involvement here at Ecclesia. And it's benediction that will soon bookend my time, my family's time here as we depart this is the rip the band-aid moment, so if you'll bear with me. Um, I am grateful beyond words to have served as a part of this amazing, amazing team for just shy of a decade. Lauren and I have called Ecclesia home for 16 years. We got married, became parents, nurtured community. Can't look at these guys. Created lifelong friendships, navigated some really difficult times, both in our lives and in those of, of so many that we love and, and are now in a, in a chapter of exciting transition. So uh, late last summer, we moved to the city of Meadows Place in southwest Houston, and, and God has been insistent with uh, this, this prompting to enter into a new season of ministry and, and fostering care and, and connection and formation and tending to the soil in which we have been planted, and I'd love to tell you more about that. Pastor Chris and I sat down for a really lovely conversation to reflect more on my time here and what lies ahead, and that, I believe, is on our YouTube channel, like, as we speak, so if you want to know more, it's there. Um, and I'll be around for three more Sundays. The 25th will be the last, and I hope to share my love and gratitude, my family's love and gratitude with as many of you as possible uh, before then. But that's not the point of this sermon. I mean, many of you are new to this community. Some of you, it may be your first time. So it's, it's really nice to meet you. Goodbye. <laughs> Sorry. What I really hope you take away is this, is that God is already writing your next chapter. And you don't get to read ahead. Our role is, is to listen attentively, prayerfully to God's call, to respond to fear and doubt with courage, with trust, little faith, and dare to answer with a terrifying, thrilling yes to the unknown. I'm feeling a lot of that these days. It's, it's like the end of the, the Truman Show, Jim Carrey's character embarking to leave the only world that he has ever known, trusting in what awaits on the other side of that threshold. Faith is active. It's something that we practice, not simply something that we believe. We hear it in Hebrews 11, we, numerous accounts, an entire lineage of those who set out in obedience, never knowing where exactly they were headed. It tells us that now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, 
the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith, our ancestors received approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. The renewal being prepared already in your life, in your family's life, in in the circles that you impact and influence, it will take on a distinct form because God is molding it from the particularities of your story, your gifts, your circumstance. I was raised Catholic, the the oldest child, or, or for those of you who watch Succession, I am the eldest boy a child of divorce, an adopted, proudly adopted Texan, lover of theater and film, an interpreter of stories, a performer, husband and father, for three and a half years, a very grateful recovering alcoholic, seminary graduate, a pastor, more than anything, a beloved child of God. So are you. Wherever you live, whatever your work, whatever your unique dreams and passions may be, whatever your hopes and fears and regrets and how those those things may change over time, your purpose remains the same. To step through that door in trust. You are a people sent, often to the uncomfortable, the unfamiliar, the unknown, today and each day to go where the Holy Spirit leads and to join her in the work of making disciples. I've had the great privilege to baptize more than I can count during my time here. And though your your, your, uh, day-to-day existence may not include submerging your neighbors and coworkers and strangers in literal water, you can absolutely baptize to bless and name as beloved all you encounter with God's grace and love. Teaching others to obey the will of God, it doesn't happen through gospel tracts or or social media blasts or hollow proselytizing. It happens when your everyday life exhibits a winsome, compelling, contagious witness to the person of Christ whose image you bear. What's that guy's deal? I want what she has. The church is not a building. Pastoral staff, a budget, a set of programs, inspiring teaching, great music, whether it's in the First Ward or in the village of Piney Points or in Lindale or Meadows Place, it's you. It's the living, breathing, moving temple of the scent comprised of all who embrace this new and enchanted reality of the resurrection, who have faith that God is up to something beyond our sight and are willing, even in doubt, to take that next trusting step, comforted in assurance that the God who made you, who knows you, who loves you is steadfastly with you right here and now in the midst of it. Remember, I am with you day after day to the end of the age. So Ecclesia, there there is one true magic kingdom and it's not the one in Orlando. It's the one we glimpse in all the fleeting moments when the, when the reality of the resurrection shines through the seemingly ordinary on earth as it is 
in heaven. It's the kind of magic that Lauren and I have been extraordinarily blessed to witness and to experience firsthand in our lives, in your lives, countless times. As a part of this family, this this beautiful, messy family, beautiful family. In celebration and in mourning and in trial and in triumph. And my, my deepest prayer for you all is that you experience a little piece of that as well. That God would shine before you and send you down an illuminated path that you never could have imagined. And that this would be a journey that you choose to share with a community such as this, with a people such as this. That's where the magic happens. And so as I prepare to depart, allow me some final words of benediction, not unlike those offered by Jesus to his friends. They come to us from one of our great philosophers, Winnie the Pooh. Egocia, you are braver than you believe, stronger than you seem, and smarter than you think. But the most important thing is, even if we're apart, I'll always be with you. And so may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit animate and energize your lives now and always. I love you all so very, very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.